It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. We've all got through to Friday. We've not got a new Prime Minister or anything, so that's great. Well done, everybody. Uh, coming up on today's episode, the latest Times Radio focus group, former number 10 pollster James Johnson from JL Partners. He was in the chair, a panel of swing voters giving their verdict on Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer. A little bit of Matt Hancock, too. They're not very happy about him going to the jungle, as we said. That's coming up in just a moment. We'll have the columnists as well, but as we always do on a Friday, let's take a look at what we learned this week. Uh, we learned that Rishi Sunak is still standing by his Suella. We learned that everyone now thinks that they could do a Liz Truss impression. This was Suella Braverman. It's wrong. 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 Yeah, it's not quite as good as the original. Wrong. 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 The Sun's Howie Cole, who's written a book on Liz Truss, also did his best, Rory Bremner. I think Michael Gove's on the record in the book saying that... Oh, I hope he is anyway. But, um, <laughs> he's on the record in the book saying that during a meeting, um, Liz Truss said to him, Michael, there's nothing that I would ever want to do or achieve that we couldn't do within the EU. That's my Liz Truss impression. Yeah, I was going to say, don't give up the day job, but that would be the perfect Liz Truss impression. Uh, we learned that Matt Hancock is off to the Australian jungle to eat kangaroo anus, or as he calls it, kangaroo... Protective ring. Uh, we learned that Penny Morden still remembers her time on ITV's Splash fondly. Honourable members will uh, find it hard to believe, given my uh, performance at uh, the time as compared to having the elegance of a paving slab being pushed off a scaffold. <laughs> We learn that Jeremy Corbyn doesn't like what Rishi Sunak has been saying about him. Could you guide me, Mr Speaker, on how the Prime Minister could correct the record and if I'm going to live rent-free in his head, at least he could accurately reflect what I think and what I say. Now, so that's what is in Rishi Sunak's head. Uh, Keir Starmer popped in to see us and was impressed by how many listeners I've got. Well, I'm just looking at that graph there, Matt, and looking at that figure and that rise. Uh, not really. But the main thing we learned this week is that Andrew Bridgen, the self-styled pre-washed potato magnet, better known as Spudge You Hate and Thick Is Mash, has been suspended from the Commons for five days for breaking rules on lobbying. B-A-K-E-D-B-O-T-A-T-O Baked potato! 
In fact, on the subject of Andrew Bridgen and uh, the fact that he's going to be suspended from the House of Commons, uh, regular listeners and indeed readers of my column will know, I've been a long-time observer of Mr Bridgen's value to uh, the body politic. So here is my top ten Andrew Bridgen moments. Right, here we go. In at ten, when he went on the BBC and claimed... As an English person, I have the right to go to Ireland. I believe I can ask for a passport, can't I? No, Andrew, you can't. In at nine, when I wrote a column about the self-styled pre-washed potato magnet in 2018, calling him as thick as mash and spudgy hate, and he went on strike. He phoned number ten, said he wouldn't vote for the government until he got an apology from Downing Street, because I was apparently no more than a mouthpiece of the May regime. That's how thick he is. At eight, when ahead of a Tory party conference, he was quoted in one newspaper predicting Theresa May would be booed during her speech and in another paper that she would face an empty hall. That's booed by an empty hall. At seven, when he claimed that Sir Graham Brady, chairman of the 1922 committee, could destroy no-confidence letters, but Andrew Bridgen said he wanted to see whether he's recently bought a deluxe shredding machine because Andrew Bridges is a sort of assassin who puts his weapons on expenses. At six, more stationary bothering when he put a letter in calling for Boris Johnson to go in January, withdrew it in March and put it in again in June. At five, when he went on BBC Breakfast and said Theresa May's draft Brexit deal was worse than Chequers. So have you seen any of this? No, I haven't. So how do you know it's worse? At four, he went on Newsnight and called Steve Bray, the anti-Brexit protester, an idiot and it backfired. The village idiot is out oh, out the on... is in front of the camera. At three, when a High Court judge ruled that he'd lied under oath, behaved in an abuse in an arrogant way, and was so dishonest that his claims about a multi-million pound family potato business dispute could not be taken at face value. At two, when a judge then ordered him to pay £800,000 and evicted him from his luxurious country home after a dispute involving the family potato business. And at number one in our countdown of top ten Andrew Bridgen moments, his latest triumph being suspended from Parliament for five days for breaking lobbying rules and threatening the Standards Commission with false rumours which was in the pocket of number 10. Right, that's quite enough, Andrew Bridgen. Uh, if he if he finds out we've been talking about him so much, his head will swell uh, to the size of a very large potato. Right, uh, up next then, it's time for The Columnists. The Columnists with Formel. James Forsyth and Melanie Reed on Times Radio. Yes, it's time for us to check in with James Forsyth. Morning, James. Morning, Matt. How are you? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. It's amazing what a difference the sun's out. Cheers me right up. Uh, Melanie Reed, how are you? I'm fine, thanks, Matt. Good morning. Is the sun out in Scotland? It is. It was a frosty night, um, which was lovely to have a bit cold. And uh, yeah, I know well, I should hot, know this. Uh, Where, whereabouts are you, Melanie? North, about an hour north of Glasgow. Lovely, lovely. Um, anyway, it's just, just having a chat about the weather. Uh, let's. Uh, I suppose we should probably talk about um, uh, about politics. Uh, James, your uh, column today in the Times, uh, warning that the government is going to be, you know, there's a risk of just sort of firefighting all the way up to the election and then not really tackling any of the problems that need to be tackled in order, presumably, for the next government and the government after that to be firefighting as well. Yeah, look, I think this is the challenge. You've got the Bank of England talking about a recession, basically, from now until the next election for two years. You've got an NHS waiting list with 7 million people on it. You've got the British Heart Foundation saying 230 people are dying each week because of the delays in getting ambulances to them. And so, you know, 
you, and then you've obviously got the situation on, 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 on the coast. And so the kind of question is, you know, where can the government do something positive? And I think that where there is an opportunity is education. And I think that we, when we think about education, you know, we think, you know, schools, um, universities, technical colleges. And I think actually the kind of, the, the opportunity here, this is something that Rishi Sunak has kind of banged on about for ages, is actually about people who are already in work. You know, 80% of the people who are going to be in the workforce in 2030 are already working today. And if you can't improve that, you know, so improving their skills is the quickest way to kind of boost growth and productivity. So I think it's about kind of shifting the way you think about education. Education is not something that stops when you leave school or university or technical college. It's something that kind of carries on um, throughout your life. And it's going to be particularly important because, you know, the nature of jobs is changing so much. You know, so, you know, if you're a car mechanic, for example, you're going to have to you are going to have to learn how to do, you have to go from working on petrol cars to working on electric cars, which is a very different set of skills. And so I think there is a whole series of changes that are going to have to happen. And we're going to have to, we're going to have to think about, uh, I mean, this sounds incredibly twee, but you're going to have to think about, you know, education is something that kind of carries on throughout your working life rather than being something that stops, you know, on, on, on one particular day. Uh, I feel like lots of people have sort of said this, but then it, it never really takes hold, does it? Because education, particularly in a general election campaign, everyone wants to know what you're going to do about schools. Once you start talking about skills, people slightly glaze over. Yeah, and that is true. But I think um, uh, James's column is fascinating. I'm, I'm, I, I, I was, I didn't know about Gillian Keegan. Extraordinary that that. She she's she's the first uh, degree level apprentice to enter parliament, and that she left school at sixteen. You know, we're so used to our to our Tory politicians being being sort of clones from Eton and Oxbridge that um, it, this was refreshing. And it's also it's also refreshing to hear to move away from the you know the, the that boring old Tory trope of of bring back bring back grammar schools. Um, so I, I you know. If if this if this can uh, can get some some footage, it could help. It could help Sunak um, because it's it's absolutely the case that we need to to revolutionise the the workforce and the way we educate people. Um, that you know, uh, he, talking about um, studying maths to the age of eighteen, which I mean, would it sounds a lot of people would be horrified by that, um, but. It, <laughs> It, it would um, it would help me do my expenses. Um, it, you know, it, <laughs> I think I think I think it's a very special sort of maths involved in that uh, uh, creative maths. Um, no, it, you know, we we as a nation, it's really really important. The the big argument is whether it can gain enough political traction in time to 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 make a breakthrough uh, to 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 the voting public. And I suppose, James, it goes a bit to the heart of, of a conversation we have quite a lot about the short-termism of politics in general, and particularly in Westminster the last uh, couple of years. Because, you know, as Michael Gove found, you know, he, he embarked on massive reforms, uh, which didn't really come to any fruition. Nobody sat any of the exams until long after he'd left the education uh, department. And if you're talking about sort of overhauling, particularly sort of later in life skills... Um, you know, that's 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 probably way beyond uh, the next election and maybe even the one after that that you start seeing any of the benefits of it. I mean, I'm not saying that's not a good reason for doing it, but uh, it, it, it's why politics has sort of got a bit, you know, it, when when success in politics is has the Prime Minister got to the end of the day or the end of the week, 
uh, it's no wonder we're not really talking about what might happen at the end of the decade. I think it's about the short termism actually of, of both business and politics. You know, uh, yeah, that's interesting. British, British businesses spend half the uh, European average on training their workers, and you know, you look at all the things that are coming down the spike. You know, the fact that you know that, that, that clearly over the next few decades we're going to need far more heat pump installers than boiler engineers. You know, are companies responding to that challenge? And, and I actually think on this on this workplace training. I mean, there's actually, there is actually an opportunity to get this up and running much more quickly because school reform, right? You have to kind of come up with a new curriculum. It, you know, you have to wait for a new cohort of children to go through and sit these, these new harder exams. Um, and, you know, it, and obviously that takes time. Well, this, I think you can do quite quickly. And I think it is about, you know, I think we, we have this tendency in this country that, you know, we spend less on training people up. And then we wonder why we keep having to add occupations to the shortages list and, and, and bring people in from abroad to do the jobs. You know, but there is there is a clear link here. And if we could if if, if if you could use the tax system to encourage businesses to spend more on training, I think it could have an effect quite quickly. Well, let's uh, we'll wait and see. I mean, I think Gillian Keegan, you're right. The appointment of Gillian Keegan is in itself uh, interesting, and it's sort of you know, for those of us who didn't go to university, it's a, it's a good, it's a good sign that you can get on. Uh, let's move on and talk about uh, uh, Donald Trump. Because we haven't talked about him for ages. There'll be lots to talk about him next weekend with the midterms happening in America. Uh, this is what he's been saying about the, his prospects for uh, running in the uh, the next U.S. election. This is the year we're going to take back the House, we're going to take back the Senate, we're going to take back America, and in 2024, most importantly, we are going to take back our magnificent White House. So very, very, very probably run. Uh, does this fill you with a sense of joy or dread, Melanie? You know, this man, this man is, is a chronic narcissist, and he's a tease. <laughs> And he cannot bear not to be, um, you know, right in the forefront of the media. So this is the kind of thing that narcissists do. Um, uh, I thought it was, it, it, he's going to carry on doing this, I think. Um, and, but as, 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 as Biden has said, denial, the denial that he, he embodies, because, uh, you know, he, he maintains the last election was rigged and two-thirds of Republicans agree with him. Um, and, and denial is the path to chaos. However, I think that um, come, come the crunch time, I think that the, someone like Pence or, Pence or DeSantis will come in and will, will rescue the country. I, I think, I don't think, I do not think, I hope, I hope to high heaven. <laughs> please, please. The, I suppose the, 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 with, with a lot of these things, it, you know, and this is true in politics, and you sort of have to check yourself all the time, trying to separate what you'd like to happen from what you think will happen. And, you know, very senior people in politics make that mistake all the time, uh, James. But yeah. we did we did see what happened with Boris Johnson, that when, you know, the you-know-what hit the fan, in the end, he didn't do it. Do you think Donald Trump might do the same? I, I, think, I, think, I don't think Donald Trump would like to go for the nomination and not win it. I think that, I've actually think that Jerry Baker raises a very uh, interesting point in this column today, which is, you know, it is becoming harder to see how Joe Biden runs again. Um, but it is also very hard to see who the Democratic candidate is if he doesn't. And I think this is, you know, I think, well, I think that, you know, I think in some ways, I think Melanie is right, that on the Republican side, I think Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, 
I think is clearly going to run regardless of what Donald Trump does. And he's going to try and run as, uh, you know, basically kind of the Trump policy platform, but without some of the Trump negatives, I think, in, in essence. But I think on the Democrat side, you know, you know, Joe Biden, obviously, you know, he would be very old if he ran again in 2024. Yeah. And, um, and then... But, you know, Kamala Harris is a deeply unpopular vice president, you know, and then you look at, you know, the other big cabinet jobs, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State. They're they're both, neither of those are people who've run for elected office before. So it is very, very unclear who the Democrats will turn to. And, you know, in this situation, the Democrats would normally look for, you know, a moderate Southern governor in the kind of Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton mode. It's very hard to see who that is. Well, well um, I suppose, but yeah, we'll wait, we'll wait and see. Let's let's try and lighten lighten the mood. Let's try and lighten the mood. Let's talk about <laughs> Katy Perry. This sound, the sound, this sound. Do you like this sound on her? She, she she tweeted this week. One of my favourite sounds is the sound of a crisp new newspaper being read over breakfast for an hour or so. The popping out of it. I don't know what that means. What does it mean the supplements? The popping out of it, the folding, the scribbling on the crossword. I hope it never goes out of fashion in our digital world. It's too romantic. So, would a couple of print journalists uh, like to tell me why newspapers are excellent? Who wants to go first? Oh. <laughs> go on, James. I think, I think because newspapers have their own grammar and they tell you something that the online copy never can, which is how does the paper choose to project a story? I mean, the kind of classic example of this in, in my part of the trade is reshuffle stories. You know, if a reshuffle story is on the front page, you know, at the top of the front page, then the paper thinks it really does take it seriously and thinks it's going to happen. If it's, if it's down page on page eight or nine, you know that they're not so sure. And so I think there is that, there is that grammar to the newspaper that you don't get from, 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 from reading it online. I, and I, I, think, you know, I often think this, that if you went to a kind of venture capital firm and said, what we're going to do is we're going to hire a bunch of very able people who are going to uh, go through the day's news, work out what's most important, order it up in neat sections for you and deliver it to your house before you wake up in the morning, we would all be like, this, this idea is the future. And like, that is what a newspaper is. Uh, and, and, you know, it has permanent, long-lasting battery life, you know, never runs out. Uh, I, I think it is really great. And I mean, there is something, you know, my, my, my son has just started kind of reading the sports pages every morning in the Times. And there's something, there is something yeah, lovely yeah, about yeah, yeah. people looking at a paper <laughs> rather than... Yeah, you know, that just that sitting there, you know, that that kind of eating your breakfast while staring at you know the, your breakfast bowl on one side of the paper and reading the paper on the other side. There is something lovely about that. Yeah, and I actually agree with I particularly agree with Katie Perry on this because she's talking about it on a Saturday, and I, you know, I've got time subscription all that. But on a Saturday, I still the, the buy two the best paper. Journalists in the Times on a Saturday. Exactly right, me and Melanie, <laughs> and uh, and and because because there's lots of sections, and I like, I like to buy, it and I've got a big pile of all my columns at home which annoys my wife, but it means that we can buy the paper and pop it all out, as Katie Pay says, so I could be reading Melanie's column while I'm standing over my wife, making sure she's read mine. You know, it's an important, it's an important thing, Melanie. <laughs> my grandfather insisted that the, the paper was ironed every morning before he read it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. I'm not sure I'm going to suggest yeah. that in our house. It's um, a... I, I, yeah, I, you know, I, well, it, you could, you could try. <laughs> well, given that I have, to do, I have to do iron my own shirts, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to get anyone else to iron my, uh, my newspaper. 
James Forsyth and Melanie Reid. And of course, you can read them in the Times every week. James on a Friday, Melanie on a Saturday, including, uh, you can read my column on a Saturday as well, uh, which this week, yes, it's about Andrew Bridget. Uh, anyway, to read that, you're going to need to get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is the Focus Group. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast. Now it's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Yeah, every month here on Times Radio, we convene a focus group of swing voters to assess how the government is getting on and see what matters to people outside the Westminster bubble and Twitter. The focus group, as ever, is run by former number 10 pollster James Johnson from Dale Partners, who joins me now. Morning, James. Morning. Now, before we begin the, uh, the legally obligated uh, explanation of what a focus group is and what it isn't, Yes, so a focus group is not a poll. A poll is 1,000, 2,000 people. It's intended to be representative of the country as a whole. This is a focus group, much smaller, six to eight people, uh, not intended to be representative of the whole population, but there to give us an insight into how specific groups think, feel, and talk about politics. So we're not saying this is the definitive view of every swing voter in the country, because that's who we've spoken to this month. Um, but we are saying this can give us a sense under the surface of what the polls say of where opinion might be. And why and how do political parties, because you, know, you used to do this for number 10, Labour Party, you know, Deborah Madison used to come on the show a lot before she went for Keir Starmer. How are political parties using this to both test messages, but also hear what, because I suppose we might see that Keir Starmer's got a 20-point lead in the polls. We don't know how solid that is. Are people absolutely in love with Keir Starmer? They want to vote for him, or are they persuadable otherwise? So how would political parties be using these focus groups? Yeah, so one is exactly that, working out actually how solid a poll lead is or how solid a particular view on something is. You've got to remember that people, when they're completing polls, they're often you know, not necessarily thinking too much about it. So this allows you to dig deeper into finding out why they're saying something. Yep, message testing, political parties use them for that for a great deal 
deal, they use it to try and work out how to improve a politician's brand. So if people feel that Keir Starmer is not doing one thing, the, politi- the politicians of the Labour Party might say, OK, let's therefore recalibrate this and do more of that. So a, a vast array of users are uses, but they're often used in tandem with polling as well. Alongside. And so who was today's... Uh, well, we did it a couple of days ago, but who, who, who were these people? And crucially again, how did you find them? Yes. So uh, Independent Market Research Agency, we went out there and we uh, basically uh, looked for swing voters. So people who voted Conservative or Labour in 2019 and are now undecided uh, about how they would vote. And we picked them up from three places, three key seats at the next election, Swindon South, Dudley North and Thurrock. So across the country, um, and those are the kinds of seats that Labour would need to win if they were to get a majority in former government. And crucially, all that's done by an independent market research company. I didn't choose them. You didn't choose them. Nobody here chose them. They're not my mates. They're not your (laughs) mates. These are real voters from across the country. Lovely stuff. Right, here we go then. As ever, just to warm them up, James uh, likes to kick off by asking the panel how they feel the government are doing. It's very hard to make head nor tail of what's going on at the moment. It seems to change on the daily, so I suppose in one word, confusing. Disgraceful. I think if we lived in a, not like a third world country, like how they turned it over with Saddam Hussein, and all this government lived in one palace, it would be burnt to the ground by the people, because they're absolutely useless, they cannot get one thing right. Last word of dice, I would bracket it in. They've got a bank on uh, Sunak and Hunt coming up with a policy that will sort the economy out yes this week probably okay but last week not so good you know i think i heard in the radio someone said you know they compared us to a south american country where we were a little bit all over the place we've all got to suffer but let's face it us lot at the bottom of the pile will be suffering a lot more than them at the top won't they like i say i've always voted conservative and in the past they said a lot of good things they haven't actually done a lot of good things have they and what they're doing now is irreparable. They're all out for themselves. It's a bloody joke. Well, there we are. Um, I don't. I don't. We don't need, no, we don't need to apologise for that. Everyone's quite happy with that. Um, so, James, interesting in that last throw of the dice is a really interesting thing. That the people are aware that Rishi Sunak is a new prime minister. Jeremy Hunt's a new chancellor. They're in a pickle. Uh, last week was better. You know, this week was a bit better than last week. Last throw of the dice, but there's a lot of anger there. Yeah, I think what you're seeing here is the brand damage that the Liz Trust Premiership and the mini budget and all of the fallout of that has done, as well as changes of leadership. Voters are still putting their hands up in the air and saying this is this is a bit of a mess. Uh, they're clearly frustrated. For some, it's too far gone. I think certainly for one voter in our group this week, they were very clear that they couldn't see themselves voting Conservative and other people were on the fence. So there's clearly been a lot of damage. I think that's uh, probably the first mention of Saddam Hussein in a focus group. <laughs> <laughs> quite some time but you you get that I'm sense. not sure I'm not sure Saddam himself did many focus groups <laughs> I don't think they they worry too much about that they uh so you know there is that real sort of public frustration that's still there and that is that remains at really one of the highest levels we've seen this year okay so uh, then you asked this early on because we couldn't wait to talk about it it was obviously very live because this was on uh it was on Wednesday night uh, just because it's worth a reminder of just how angry the public are. This is you asked them how they felt about Matt Hancock going on. I'm a celebrity, which I think a bit crucially, I think, and this is an important thing for all politicians. It does give some insight into their general attitude towards all politicians. I, I just think that surely he's got more things that he could be doing at this present moment that are more important. I think it's a load of ball, really. I just think he's trying to make the money where he can because he's got no future. 
Sunak shunned him. So I think he's just trying to get money in now before he has no future at all. The man's an absolute disgrace, but it's totally obvious, isn't he? He's fell out of favour with the uh, main man, hasn't he? His job's looking uh, on the line a bit. Okay, so he's thinking I'll go and make me a few grand. Two fingers to the rest of us, isn't it? Everybody in government at this, this minute should be putting 100% into sorting this mess out. They shouldn't have time to even watch that programme, let alone bloody take part in it. And you know what's going to come up at the end of this? It'll be interviews on television. The next thing he'll do is write, I'll guarantee you. Yeah. Then yeah, he'll be sorry. doing uh, public tours, public speaking. He'll be a multimillionaire within five years, I'll guarantee it. While the yeah. rest of us, and drawing our tea bags to use the next day. Seeing the cost of living rising and our wages not going with it. And then to see sort of his priorities and the way he's living and the other politicians too, if I'm honest. I feel like they're so detached from real life. I mean, the only good thing to come out of that really is for Matt Hancock is it's what quarter past eleven, so he's probably asleep in Australia, so he won't <laughs> he won't be listening. Maybe maybe we'll catch up on the podcast. People at least think he's got uh, the ability to become a multi-millionaire. multi-millionaire. So there's at yeah, least that the, 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 yeah, there's at least that. Uh, but but a reminder that this is and this is you know for for perfectly decent, hardworking MPs, this is infuriating for them. Not just because they're crossing Matt Hancock. But they all get tarred with this brush. Yeah, and I think, I have to say, a part of me, I remember you texted on the morning of the Focus Group, Matt, saying, make sure we ask about Matt Hancock. And I kind of thought, oh, that'll be the light relief section. It really wasn't. They are are furious. They are angry. They see it as exactly what they see as the problem with politicians, where they feel that politicians are out there in there to make some money for themselves. Now, that's actually not often the case. There was often lots of uh, reports about how MPs are not that well paid compared to other other yeah. things, and that it doesn't necessarily attract the talent needed. But for something like this, with the bill, uh, with the check that Matt Hancock's getting, it causes real frustration yeah. and just re-emphasizes those concerns about politicians. Before we go back to uh, to Rishi Sunak, then let's uh, just just because you know she didn't get many mentions at focus groups. Cause we, I think we only managed to do one while she was actually prime minister. Uh, this is what this group uh, had to say about Liz Truss. Well, I think Liz Truss didn't help us, did she? I, I, I find it very difficult how somebody can come into power for that short period of time, create so much debt deficit. You know, it it made such a massive difference to after what 44 days 45 days to say i'm gonna hang the hat up now and off i go and i'm gonna leave it to someone else yeah and correct me if i'm wrong because i'm not 100 sure on this she's now set to carry on to receive a very high wage for the rest of her life because she's been prime minister correct yep hundred and fifty thousand pound a year yep 44 days yeah i wish i could have that job I guess I feel like she came from nowhere for me. She wasn't really a big yeah. name that I was aware of. Not really. And now I'll remember her forever. <laughs> well, I mean, she'll take that being remembered forever. Um, we should point out, James, and this is something that's really lodged in people's minds, this idea that Liz Truss will be paid as Prime Minister forever. And that's just not not true. There's this thing that former Prime Ministers can get this... Uh, uh, allowance to run an office of the former prime minister, but that's only for basically they can hire a you know John Major can have a secretary who'll sort out his diary and respond to letters in his capacity as a former prime minister, and he can claim expenses on that secretary and the envelopes. It's not quite the same, but it's sort of beside the point because that's what people think. Perception is reality. With, yeah, with with public opinion, um, and and that has become become you know that's become widespread perception. Uh, well then, uh, let's uh, let's get their group's perception now. On uh, let's look forward a bit more. This is what the group had to say specifically about Rishi Sunak. I quite like the bloke. I think you know he should have got it the first day to be leader. He seemed to be very 
up front and kind of say what was needed to be said. Yes, I know he's a very wealthy man, but so is the majority of the politicians. If he, if he can get his way out of it, great. Never lived in the real world and never will. His family had money and he's with a wife now who's worth over £800 million. I was freezing to death and I was on £45 a fortnight. He's never had to go through that, never will. He's wealthy, good for him. Uh, I don't know where his money comes from originally. If he's married a rich lady, then, you know, that, that I try and keep separate from what I think of him as in a politician. He's just got a big task and I'm not sure that he knows enough about the real people to be able to undergo it. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the ass or the aggro, the private invasion into his life. So he doesn't need to be prime minister, but he wants to be prime minister. That's what you've got to look at. Why is he doing the job? Why is he? Is it for fame? Is it? Is it because he's got a good heart? Is it because he can save us? Doubt it. Let's face it, his wife has been a non-dominant. She, so I know she started now because we've all got wives to it. And she's got away with it for bloody years. Now, come on, you want to lead a country, you can't have a wife on the fiddle, can you? Again, it's interesting. All these normally quite niche stories have all got because you know politics has been a soap opera for the past twelve months. Everything that's happened with his party gates, um, uh, you know, Liz Truss's allowances, Rishi Sunak's wife—it's all got cut through. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of pickup of these things. A few things on that one. I think firstly, this was uh, certainly more positive on Rishi Sunak than we had on ever had on Liz Truss, yeah. and also more positive on Rishi Sunak than on the Conservatives as a whole. And we've seen that gap open in the polling as well. Conservatives still very far behind, but Rishi Sunak ahead of Keir Starmer. So that's or, or close to being ahead of Keir Starmer in other polls. So that is something that came through there. Um, the money and the rich issue, clearly for some voters, that's a problem. But it cuts both ways, interestingly. Some saying, you know, non-doms, he's got loads of money, he's out of touch. Others saying, well, why is he doing it? He doesn't, he's not doing it, unlike your Matt Hancock's and your Boris Johnson's and Warpaper and all that, he's not doing it for the money. So that, I think, from this focus group, and we had it a number of times throughout... Uh, is the key thing. And if I was in number 10, that's the thing that I'd be jumping to most enthusiastically yeah. because people who questioned his... People who talked about his background said, well, his motivation, if he's not in it for money, like Matt Hancock, like all <laughs> the others, then maybe, just maybe, he's in it because he cares about us. Now, they weren't quite there, yeah. but there was certainly an opening to them being there. So they, 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 they feel already that he did that in the pandemic with the pandemic support. They're a bit less sure now after the last few months, but if he can be seen to be doing that and meeting his word on protecting the most vulnerable, being fair at this autumn statement, then actually you really could see these voters warm up to Rishi Sunak. If you were advising Rishi Sunak, as you did when you were in number 10 for, for Theresa May, can he articulate that himself? Or is that too risky for him to say, look, I'm not in this for the money. You know, yes, I'm very wealthy, but I mean, I'm doing it for the whole country. Or if you start saying that out loud, does the Labour Party take the, yes, I'm absolutely loaded and I don't know what it's like to be poor, and that becomes a thing on its own? Or do you hope that people sort of reach that, uh, that that position without you having to tell them. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, you know, one doth protest too much, right? If you're sort of, yeah. you know, out there saying it out loud. Having said that, there was a point in the leadership campaign, I think, where somebody asked a question of Rishi Sunak about his background and how that would affect his ability to be elected. And he turned around, he got quite passionate. He said, well, look, yes, that's my background, um, but I want everybody in this country to to have those opportunities and, you know, I can't help that. Da, 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 yeah, yeah. And actually, that's the kind of thing that you can imagine these voters, some of these voters, warming up quite receptively too so there is a path for sure it was definitely within the the benefit of the doubt stage yes 
uh, in a way that I'm not sure Liz, Liz just ever quite opened that window. She had the window. tiniest window when we did that first focus group. But yeah. yes, there's a very much sense of the word, the most common phrase in this focus group was give them a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. There. Uh, James, let's turn our attention now to obviously the economy. We've got just under two weeks now, the, uh, the autumn statement coming. So this is uh, our panel of swing voters giving their verdict on the state of the economy. Wages need to, if things are going to keep carrying on the way they're going, there needs to be, the cost of living needs to be addressed and it needs to be addressed with something realistic rather than giving us a bit of money back every month for our gas and electric for six months. We've all got to pay for this mess. We understand that. But uh, about starting with the big boys at the top? How about starting with Shell, BP? My worry is they'll take it away from education and health. Just, I'm just trying to think where they can cut. I understand the money needs to come from somewhere, but that money, if it comes out of my wages, when my bills have increased by such a percentage, that then comes out of my food budget, which is getting smaller and smaller by the week. I'm paying tax every week when I go to the supermarket because if I bought one item for 34 pence last week, I know it's gone up. Uh, James there, sort of summing up probably how loads of people right across the country feel and understanding that the you know, the economy isn't great and things need to be paid for, but sort of bafflement as to how you go about doing that, whether it's cutting public spending or cutting your personal spending. Yeah, and it's the worrying thing for the government is they basically blame Liz Truss and the, government, the previous government for doing that. Uh, so obviously Rishi Sunak does have a bit of a reset, but they do see that as being the fault of the Conservatives. I think a couple of things from that, debt politics is clearly back. We always had that in our focus groups, concern about the debt, and we yeah, always yeah. talked about that, but that has become even more so now. Lots of people talking about the billions that were in debt, and a sense that that has to be addressed. I think that's the thing. You know, Nobody is saying it doesn't, it doesn't need to be. And what are they really looking for? Well, they're looking for two things from this autumn statement. One is honesty. Yeah. Just level with us was their general plea. You know, don't tell us everything's going to be amazing if it's not. Be, you know, grip that and look competent and be honest. And the other thing is fairness, that sense that people with the broadest shoulders need to pay more. Some people open to paying more themselves, but only if they saw those big companies and the richest pay more too. If we were doing this 10, maybe 15 years ago, there'd have been a lot of people saying we, there's too many scroungers, people on welfare. You know, there's definitely money to be saved there. This doesn't that doesn't come up in the way that it that it feels like it used to. Yeah, it's a little bit less. I, I do do still get it in some of our other focus groups, especially with the um, more sort of working class, new conservative uh, in the sort of north and midland seats that the conservatives picked up for the first time. You do get that come through quite a bit still. I think one hesitation that one of the voters had this week in the focus group about Labour was a concern about benefits. Yeah, yeah. But you're right; it's certainly less top line, and the polls show that as well. I mean, the 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 to the extent they had any. View on Jeremy Hunt. They said he was cool, calm and collected, a peacemaker and grey. But we'll, we'll, I think we'll probably test more on Jeremy Hunt after he's actually done his big statement. We'll do that in the uh, in the December group. Let's turn our attention now then to, uh, to uh, the other guy, Keir Starmer, who's, who's had a rough old time, it has to be said, in the last two and a half years of us doing these things. Uh, let's find out what this group think of the Labour leader. He's a bit bland, is my unsteady. It's getting stronger and stronger every day. 12 to 18 months ago, I've never really heard of him. And he was really quiet during the pandemic, but recently he's getting stronger and I believe in his path. Um, I think he could be a big name for us in the future. Weasel. He picks on the Conservative Party for all their faults. And on a serious matter, he's always kind of making a joke about it. But then when one of his politicians gets arrested for this, that and the other, he doesn't say he doesn't come down on it on them. 
I just don't trust the bloke at all. I like that word bland, a frowning. That, that, that about sums him up. He's sort of, he's bland, isn't he? All we've ever heard him do is slag off Conservatives. Sometimes I feel like he's more interested in trying to tear apart the Conservatives for his own gain rather than that of the people. James, this is fascinating. This isn't the first time. It comes up all the time. People complaining that all the leader of the opposition does is oppose the government. Yeah. And I have some sympathy with Keir Starmer. Well, what else is he supposed to do? Quite, quite. Uh, it is very difficult. That seems to be something that was really came through in the pandemic. This sense that during the pandemic, everyone should have been on the same side, mm. clubbing together. And yeah. I think, therefore, that's persevered in perhaps a way that it wouldn't have done if it, yeah, was, yeah. If it wasn't for that pandemic. But the general election now line that Labour now has, that Labour is now sort of locked into because yeah. it said it, that now seems to be creating that sense as well. Because although polls do show that people want a general election, they also showed that in 2017. And then, of yeah, course, yeah, we had yeah. Brenda from Bristol and, and, and you know, a backlash to there being an early election. So I think that there is a feeling amongst voters coming up to the surface again that by calling for a general election, Keir Starmer is perhaps not working with the government as perhaps they'd like him to. Uh, just finally then in this half hour, because we'll do more of it, uh, I want to just uh, dip into uh, immigration. Uh, so, because uh, obviously it's been the big political issue this week, immigration and the asylum system. Uh, Labour have been really attacking, particularly the Home Secretary, Sonia Barman, about this. But let's take a listen to what the focus group thought about that. I was watching the Home Secretary in Parliament questions home this week. And all the do-gooders were complaining about how overcrowded Manson was. Two Conservative MPs stood up and said, well, if they don't like it here, they can go back, which is true. They're not getting killed. They are getting fed and watered. They are warm. All right, it may be a bit crowded, but that's the situation we're at at the moment. I agree with what Rob said, but it was his fantastic government that's letting all this happen at the moment. We've got to put a stop to it, like they said in Australia. Yeah, absolutely, I feel for them. What an awful situation some of these people are living in. And do they deserve help? Yeah, they do. But should our gates be open for anybody and everybody all the time with an unlimited <laughs> budget that it seems that we're sending? There has to be... There has to be a limit. There has to be a, a cut-off. It should have been stopped bloody years ago, but it's got completely out of hand now, isn't it? They pulled a boat in yesterday. It's full of room, uh, Albanians. There's no war going on in Albania. They're coming over from everywhere, and they're not coming over because they're fleeing war. They're coming over for one thing, the freebies. My, my thing is, like, they're coming across all the way across Europe, you know, passing through how many countries, and then just coming straight to the UK, like James, you've uh, you summarised some of the responses to that on uh, on Twitter this morning, and it's fair to say that, that Twitter doesn't like the idea that people think the country might be full, uh, that uh, people shouldn't be coming here, that uh, um, it should have been solved a long time ago, and there's this big tension, isn't there, between left leaning Twitter and actually what a lot of people think. Yeah. And look, we're not saying either side of that divide is right. We are saying this is where these swing voters are on this issue. And it's something I've seen in my focus groups and in the polling over and over again. Although people are becoming more positive about immigration across the whole electorate, when you zoom in on those key groups to winning the next election, there is still deep concern about immigration. People feel that uh, the promises uh, of Brexit on immigration and ending free movement have not come good. They feel that they don't just want control, they want reduction of immigration too, and that's not happening. And they feel that the situation with the channel crossings is, is immensely unfair 
when they talk about things like people being in poverty in the UK and people not able to afford their energy bills. So it is a very real issue. It's not a culture war issue. It's a real issue for these people that they are frustrated about. And people might try and want to explain that away. But the fact is, if the Conservatives or Labour don't get their act together on immigration, then they will pay the price at the ballot box. And, and when you look at the, some of the polling on, you know, a large chunk of the electorate agree with Suella Barfman's call, calling it an invasion of people on the South Coast. Um, the, the, the rhetoric is again being cranked up by the Conservative Party. And there is a school of thought that actually, it doesn't matter how bad things are, the Tories will always win on this turf. The, the Labour Party is unable to, you know, Keir was trying it a bit at PMQs this week, sort of attack the government from the right on this. But the Tories can always outflank Labour on the riot. Yeah, and it was surprising in this focus group, actually, because they were very negative about the government, very negative about the government's performance on the Channel Crossings. But when we asked them which party would you trust most to handle it, most of them said the Conservatives. Yeah, in fact, I think we can hear right. that now when you asked who you thought uh, would be better at solving this issue. I'm Richie because I think it'd get worse under Labour. Yeah, hey, i go Richie as well. I think Richie because it would get worse under Labour. I'm sticking with Richie still. Labour, because it's a joke at the moment, can't get no worse. And that's that's the key. That's the key point. It's extraordinary, really. That you know you have a Home Secretary standing at the dispatch box after twelve years in power and saying the the system is broken, and yet people still trust the Conservatives to sort it out. In a, you know, and I yeah. suppose that's just that's worth saying. The polls on that do show that Labour does have a small lead over the Conservatives on yeah. immigration, but in these key voter groups we see something different. And I think That's that we're going to see the Conservatives really making that attack, I think. There's also, particularly when you've got the Labour Party so he so far ahead, 20, 30 points ahead in the polls, that sort of drags up everything. Suddenly the Labour yes. Party's best at, you know, pulling Mr Whippy ice cream. Or like Literally across the board, suddenly Labour are ahead of, ahead of the Conservatives. You asked them, who would you pick out of Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak? Uh, four out of five went for Rishi Sunak. And this is why uh, they said that. He hasn't had his actual chance yet. And I think that now he has got his chance, he's got his work cut out, and he's chosen to still go for it despite what, what mess we're in. I mean, I don't know why he's doing it. Perhaps he's passionate about the country and he wants to try and help us and get us out of it. But I think he needs to, I think he deserves to have the chance. He stuck it out, let him have a go. Let's see what he can do. I think he, he's different. And it's maybe a different outlook. We've got a different leader. He's, a young, he's the youngest leader I think we've ever had. He's from a different faith. I think change sometimes is good from what has been the norm always. What we Kia will be more the norm. Really interesting that James. The 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 benefit of the doubt, or just you know, give him a chance. He's only been there what a week or so. Um, but how do you explain this group of swing voters willing to give Richie Sunak the benefit of the doubt? He hasn't been in very long with the Labour Party having a 20, 25, 30 point lead in the polls. Well, it's worth saying that that actually does tally with the polls in that Richie Sunak does lead Keir Starmer on the best PM question. If you look at Redfield and Wilton poll that came out yesterday, um, while also Labour maintain a double digit lead. So I think what we're seeing here is I think that, yes, we need to be cautious on it, but I think what we're seeing in this gap between party views and PM views is that when people are answering this voting intention question in the polls, they are so angry with the Conservatives still, they're still so angry with the government that they are still choosing Labour. But when you come on to the question of who's going to be a better PM, they do lean on the Rishi Sunak side. Now, if you had to make me make a choice between which one of those is more indicative, 
I would say the PM question, and the reason is is that voters see politics so through the prism of who the leader is. When I ask voters how they feel about the main parties, they always answer in reference to the leaders. So I think as time gets closer to a general election, I expect we actually might see that party, uh, that voting intention question narrow if Rishi Sunak can continue where he is with these voters or indeed build on it. And I suppose when a pollster phones up or, or, or sends out a survey saying, how would you vote if there was a general election tomorrow? People know there isn't a general election tomorrow. So they can signal, I'm really, really cross with the Tories. I'm going to vote Labour. But when you ask the question, who would you rather have as Prime Minister right now? They're willing to say Rishi Sunak. And I suppose that's the, the tension there. Um, as ever, you asked them to, to more towards the end. If you, if you could bend the ear of, uh, of the Prime Minister, what would you say? So this is, this is the group's direct message to Rishi Sunak. Listen to the people. Live in the real world. You know, get off your cloud. The Millionaires Club and get it, get on the streets where the reality is. Have, have vision and deliver it. Show us how big your balls are. Stand up for your policies and don't, don't waver from, from anything. So that was the message to uh, Rishi Sunak. Before I get your analysis on that, we probably, in the, in the interest of balance, should find out what the, policy, what the, uh, what the group uh, said would be their message to Keir Starmer. Become more, more non-grey. Go for it. Put your effort into supporting the country and not beating down conservatives. Get a charisma, get it. But I think deep down, he's got some good policies in a way, but he's, he's still got a lot to learn. Learn by their mistakes and do better. Stop being so slimy and work for the people. Be more productive. Now, if you were either sitting in Labour HQ or, or number 10 right now, who do you think would be most pleased with that? I think, look, I mean, Keir Starmer clearly still is, you know, in the in the ascendancy here because yeah. of that Labour lead. But I think there are real positive bits for Rishi Sunak as well. It's interesting if you listen to those messages. Rishi Sunak's weak spot is on values, is on the sense of, is he like us? Is he in touch with us? Keir Starmer's weak spot is what we've always seen in these focus groups, a mix of strength and charisma. And you know, does he have the drive and energy to yeah. actually, you know, get across his get across his vision? Does he have a plan? And I think that um, both of those are are fixable. I think the, the one thing I would say is that if I'm Rishi Sunak and I'm in number 10, looking towards that autumn statement, yes, it's going to be tough, but voters are braced for tough decisions. If they can show that toughness, if they can show that they're levelling with the public and being honest, and if these reports of a windfall tax or increases on things like capital gains tax or dividends tax are, are true, then actually they might surprise quite a few of these voters because these voters are very much expecting the rich not to be hit. They're yeah, very yeah. much expecting the big companies not to be hit. They're expecting to pay the price. So it could be that the autumn statement might actually surprise some of these voters and warm them up to Rishi Sunak, even if the narrative at the moment is that, you know, they're on course for a disaster with it. So if you manage to be fairer than people expected, and actually then also, crucially, stick to it. Don't start U-turning on this one week and that the next, you know, and then it all starts sort of uh, falling to pieces. I suppose the other thing, this, this just to wrap up, the, the, the real value of this focus group, is, alongside polling, is it gives you an insight into how firm this Labour lead is. And actually, based on this and some of the other groups we've done recently, it's quite soft. Yeah, there are opportunities there for Rishi Sunak. This is not set in stone that Labour get a massive landslide. They might yet. I think this focus group analysis of the polls over the last week or so, and other focus groups I've done, I think the Conservatives are back in the game. I think it's a wow. very, very yeah, yeah. narrow path still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is a path in a way there wasn't a month ago. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from.